Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Before I start, I should say last year, for reasons of pride, I did not come up here and participate in publicly giving thanks. And this year I am given more time to publicly give the Lord thanks. So I don't know if that's a warning or an encouragement. This evening, we're going to deal with a passage in Nehemiah, and it's a passage that probably is familiar to most most of us. Um, And so let us read it here. So Nehemiah 8, we're going to start with the 8th verse. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer again. Lord, we just ask that you would meet with us tonight. Father, as the Israelites were moved by your word, that we would have soft hearts and that we would be moved by your word. We ask this in the mighty name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so this time, this was the start of the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets was the, the fifth feast that the, the Jews would celebrate. And the, the first four came very quickly in the calendar year. They were all in the first month. And so this Feast of Trumpets was marking this is a month of, of rest in God. And so after this, on the tenth day of the seventh month came the Day of Atonement, and then on the fifteenth day, the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a, was a seven-day feast. So this month was consumed with God, with thinking of God, with remembrance of, of God and his deliverance and his providing for the Israelites. And this is interesting here where the Levites were explaining it to him in such a way. It didn't say they just read it and the people were moved, but it says they were translating it. They were helping them to understand. There was, there was in the chapters before this, there was 13 uh, scribes that were helping the people to understand and to make sure that they got it, that it was not going over their heads. And so, typically, this time, this Feast of Trumpets was a joyous time. It was a time of, this is the month that we get to celebrate. There has been a long layover since the first month. And this is the time we are to celebrate what the Lord has done. And we see just the opposite reaction from them. We see, instead of joy, the trumpet sounds, the joy, 
bring the people together, and they read the law, and they were crushed by it. So it had a great effect, the reading of God's law, the reading of his word. And the people sitting under the teaching who understood God's law became aware of their sins, and they were crushed by it, and they wept bitterly. Instead of joyous gathering, there was mourning, there was sorrow. And this is different than what the typical reaction would be to the, to the Feast of Trumpets. It was a joyous, it was a celebration. No joy, only sorrow. And so then the people were sent away with that phrase that we all know, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I was kind of amazed that this is the only place in Scripture where that phrase appears. I thought it was, it was a more common thing than that. As a, as a child, you learn that. Yeah, you're like, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And so they were sent away with that phrase, the joy of the Lord is your strength, do not weep. And so they went to their homes and feasted with great joy, rejoicing in the Lord. One of the commentators said that this meal was a meal of thanksgiving for what they'd received, for what the Lord had provided, even in abundance of what the Lord had provided, because there was the command to give of your extra to those in need, to those without. So what is this joy of the Lord? It seems kind of weird in the midst of their mourning that, he would, that they would say, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the first thing we think of, and probably most of us, we think it's, it's one of the fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. So it's God-ordained. It is from the Lord. It's a dumb moment. The joy of the Lord is from the Lord. So not from man, not what we typically would think of somebody joyous and happy on TV. We kind of think of the, oh, that guy's really happy. He's joyful. He's exuberant. Not from happiness or pleasures of this world. Not from booze. This isn't joy. So we think of that, the joy of the Lord is your strength, Booze actually is a a close parallel to that. You feel happy and joyous and feel like you could tackle, you know, a building and tear it down with your bare hands. But it is a false strength. It's not from your place in this world, not from your status, your stature, your job, your career. So the joy of the Lord It comes from the knowledge of God. More specifically, not just a head knowledge, not just a mental assent to know, well, there is a God, I can have joy. But it comes in the fact of being a member of God. This is one of God's gifts to us as believers. And so we see here, In the passage that all the children are memorizing, you guys can probably help me in Luke 2, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy, 
which will be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This joy is directly tied to our salvation. It's directly tied to what Christ has done to us. And again in Isaiah 35, it says, The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And the psalmist says in Psalm 4, it says, You have put gladness in my heart. You have put gladness in my heart. More than when their grain and new wine abound. And so it's important for us to understand that this joy is directly tied to salvation. It's tied to the work that God does in us. It's not something that we can manipulate. And that all of us who are saved, we should experience joy. This is a normal part. This should be a normal part of who we are. And so Paul reminds us and exhorts us in Thessalonians. He says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. To the Philippians, he says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Why would he say that? Because it is an element of who we are. It is in our identity. It is in our DNA as Christians that joy is tied with God saving us, with God doing a work in us. And we see on the flip side, when sin comes in, we see this in David, and he gives his great confession of sin in Psalm 51. Coming out of the terrible sin of adultery and murder, he cried out to the Lord. He said, Restore unto me the joy of, my, of thy salvation. So we know that it can be forfeited by sin, and David was experiencing this. And so this joy that God has given us, it is a daily work. It is something that, that marks us, that distinguishes us from the world. Because if it's something that is tied to God's salvation, and we are God's people then it is a mark. It is, it is something that we have. And it produces in us contentedness, a spirit, allowing us to do all sorts of things. It allows us to do small things gracefully without boasting. This joy allows us to do great things with boldness. And it stimulates us this joy as Christians, it stimulates us, not only our own self, but those around us. It's a contagious joy. And we've all experienced this with football games where you're caught up, or basketball, I guess in Indiana it's, it's basketball, not football. And the excitement of it, it's, yeah, woo, team, go, and wait, which one are we cheering for? There's, 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 a, there's a stimulation there that happens. It gives us courage. It makes us patient. Makes us persevere. 
It braves the disappointments that we go through. It enlarges our heart towards others. We're given to care towards people. Makes us liberal in our giving, both in word and deed. That we give of ourselves, that we give of our time, our money. And we do it joyfully. Joy is useful to our master. And so God has given us this phrase, the joy of the Lord is our strength. It can be said that the Lord gives us joy, but it's probably more rightly stated that the Lord is our joy. That our, our identity of, of contentment, our identity of, of rejoicing is found in the fact that we are in Christ So why is God so helpful, and why is it useful to him for us to have joy, and that be the girding of our strength? Why is that? And it's that God has given us work. And God created work even before creation. He was at work. But we see specifically in the creation order that God had set a pattern of work. And this structure, this, this order that we follow today. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. And then later in Exodus, this is the command. This is God's command. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it, you shall not do any work. So God, in his usefulness, he has given us something not to sit on, not to be idle with. But he's given us joy to be our strength in work. Not in our our efforts or our our things we want to do, but in his work. And so we work, we do not work in order to know him, but we work because we have known God. So our joy, we don't don't do these things to attain joy. We don't work and strive to attain joy. And so we know that God has used all sorts of men in their work. And we can think about this in, in scripture, and it's, We could go on all night. But the point is that God uses fallen man to do his work. And so we must be girded in that work. And so some men work with their hands. Some men work with their minds. Some have light work, and it goes on a short time. Others may carry a heavy workload for their life. Some great men, most weak men. And so 1 Corinthians 1 says, For consider your calling, brethren, that you, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak, thing, weak things of the world 
to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despise God has chosen, the things that are not, so that he may nullify the things that are, so that no man may boast before God. So God has chosen to use sinful men. And so we see this even in Nehemiah. We see the work that Nehemiah had done, 53 days of rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. Hard work. Toilsome work. But yet his work was not done at that point. God still had other work for him, and he needed the joy of the Lord to be his strength. And God needs vigorous workers. And we must have a joy that's adequate to the greatness of the work that God has called us to. So we look at this, the apostles. They went forth doing the work of God. And they found that the joy of the Lord was their strength. And we should too. And so we come to the fun questions. What about us? So what are the reasons that you reject the joy of the Lord? That you reject, that you turn these things down? Have you rejected the joy of the Lord merely dismissing it as schoolyard play? As, as child's play? That, well, yeah, when you were a kid, you can be joyful. When you're a kid, you know, you're carefree, you don't have bills, you don't have other kids to care for, you're just, you're out there injuring all the other kids that I have to care for now. So if that's you, return to the Lord. Have you given up the simple message of the gospel? That to believe on Jesus, you will be saved? So this is where our joy is founded, in Christ, in the work that he has done. Have you tried to come up with a system, doctrinally, or something to kind of infuse joy in your life that, you know, this is too simple, that that joy comes with salvation? And I have to know more in order to be joyous. I have to read more books. I have to um, know God in a special way or a new revelation. Or perhaps you've dealt with pain in this world. Physical pain. Daily pain. Or perhaps losing family members way too early, earlier than what we think should be joyous. So whether losing family members by death, how many infants have we lost in this church, how many young babies in the womb, or family members leaving us, walking away from God, husband and wife, 
brother, sister, and you say, there can be no joy of the Lord in this. We need to believe God and his word, that he works these things for the good of those who are called according to his name. Lastly, have you been deceived into believing that sobriety of life, seriousness, controlling of emotions is a fruit of the Spirit? That this is a mark of godliness? That when I was a child, I used to have joy, but now that I'm mature, We know that Paul suffered in prison. He had joy in prison. And Jake talked a little bit about this this past week. Joy that the gospel was being preached. Joy that people were coming to believe. But we have Christ to look to. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangled us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For considered him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary in losing heart. Christ, for the joy set before him, endured. And so to end, I want to send you off the same way that Ezra and Nehemiah sent the Israelites off. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. And when we trust in the joy of the Lord, we will hear those words, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Father God, we ask that you would give us your joy. Lord, that we would not despise the simpleness of the gospel, Lord, that we would not look down our noses upon the work that you have done. Give us soft hearts, Lord. Help us to trust you and give us the joy of our salvation, Lord. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.